Transferring wealth successfully starts with asking yourself questions that will give your family a better life now and for generations to come. In this podcast, financial professionals John and Michael from Copper Beach Financial Group guide you through eye-opening questions to help you discover the truth about your wealth. Now, on to the show. Hello and welcome to The Truth About Wealth with John and Michael Paris of Copper Beach Financial Group. Today we're going to be talking about It's Not What You Make, It's What You Keep. And I love that title. Good morning, gentlemen. How are you? Morning, Eric. Good morning, Eric. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. Uh, you know, it's sunny. It's warmer than it has been, so I'm... I'm happy about that. I'm happy. It's always good after a long winter. Yes, 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 definitely. All right, so I love the title. It's not what you make, it's what you keep. What inspired this podcast today? Well, this is this is one question actually in our in our white paper which uh, mm. we've talked about a, a couple of the other questions in the past on prior podcasts. And this is one of the questions in in that white paper that we have which you can go to our website to download if you're uh, so inclined. And uh, really this is a product of in our working with families over the years, we've we've really seen there being a lack of understanding about really what they're they're earning in their investment portfolios, mm-hmm. and and they're really not factoring in a lot of the certain hidden costs, if you will, that are associated with those investment portfolios, and that's really the impetus for this podcast today. In terms of, it's not what you make; it's what you keep. Fantastic. Where do we start? Well, there's really, when we start talking about it's not what you make, it's what you keep, we often, one of the, the questions we ask families when we start working with them is, what is your net composite rate of return on your investment portfolios? And when we ask that question, we often get a, a, a quizzical look. Uh, a on blank the, stare. Yeah, I was going to say, you're getting a blank stare from me right now. Absolutely. <laughs> and uh, it's it's really not something or a question, number one, that they've been asked or a topic that they've really thought about in the past. And so when we when we talk about what net composite rate of return really means, we're really talking about what your rate of return on, let's say, an investment portfolio, as an example, or, or any investment really for that matter. Uh, but it's not a gross number. It's net of certain things. So it's net of fees net of inflation, and perhaps most importantly, net of taxes. That's one area that we, we mm. really see there being a big disconnect with families is many families we work with are not really factoring in the tax impact of the investments that they have. So that's what we're, we're going to talk about today in terms of net composite rate of return. All right. How do we break it down? Well, the fees really, if you start looking at, at, at the different types of fees that you may have in investment portfolios, as an example, there could be specific administration fees that may come up. There could be a broker fee. There could be a management fee. So typically, and really, there's a lot in the in the industry today that's being talked about fees. I mean, you could turn on the TV really and look at a commercial, and a lot is being discussed about fees. And it's, it is important for families to understand what exactly that means. So, depending on the type of investment that you have. Let's take it very simple. Let's say something like a, a mutual fund as an example. Well, there are a whole host of different mutual fund classes that you can buy. They each have different expense ratios. They have different charges that are associated with them. And so it's really, really important for families to who are, who are working with an advisor to really understand that or at least have their advisor relay that to them. And Dad, I know you talk a lot about mutual funds and, and how 
uh, not just fee intensive they could be, and it really does depend on the type of mutual fund you buy, but taxes also come into play a lot when you start talking about mutual funds, especially if you're investing them outside of, of re retirement accounts, like in a taxable portfolio. Yeah, unfortunately, taxes, we have to, all of us have to deal with taxes pretty much on a, on a routine basis on everything we do, uh, whether we pay taxes with, on our incomes, we pay tax on our earnings, we pay tax on any growth with any real estate. It's, it's, a, it's a burden all of us have to, have to face. Mm -hmm. So with that said, when you look at just a typical mutual fund structure, you, Mike, as Michael's point, you have fees, but the bigger fee is your tax burden. So when you look at a mutual fund that's not in an IRA or a qualified plan, it's just a referred to as a non-qualified asset. It produces a taxable stream of income based on the performance of the of the portfolio or the or the stocks that the managers are managing inside that particular fund. It's typically how it's how it's structured. If I I, I believe that as well. I, I believe that based on the definition, in order to be classified as a mutual fund. The, the fund itself has to actually pass on the vast, vast majority, I think up to 90% Correct. of the, the earnings or losses that are earned by the fund itself out to the investor, the end investor and the mm -hmm. end owner. I, I remember way back when, and I think it was early 90s when the market was in a negative position, I think it was 1992 or 93, that I had a client call me and said, you know, I've taken a loss on my portfolio this year. Why am I getting a taxable 1099 on my on my mutual funds. Well, remember how a mutual fund works, although you could have a loss in its value, to trade in the stocks inside that portfolio on a daily basis and you pay tax on any gains that's built into that portfolio. So it's really a secret kind of an issue that most people get surprised with. Like, why am I getting taxed and my account value is down? So mutual funds have a tendency to surprise folks on a tax structure. Um, and again, as Michael said earlier, it's not what you make, it's what you keep on these to, on, on any investment. And so it's, and it's also just to add to that, not, this isn't just specific to mutual funds, but when you start looking at taxes, as, as many people are aware, there's a lot of different types of, of tax rates in our current tax law system. So there are there are investments that are taxed at ordinary income tax rates, things like interest, as an example, from a bank account or a bond taxable bond will distribute interest. That's typically taxed at, at ordinary income tax rates. There are capital gain rates. Those are long-term and short-term capital gain rates. There are dividend rates. There's a lot of different tax rates that investors have to be aware of, and it's really important for them to work with a good team that's really managing that and overseeing it because, as we've talked a lot about in our podcast, m many of the families that we work with who are business owners are just so busy inside their business that these are the sorts of things that tend to fall through the cracks. And we've seen that, uh, you know, really be hurt by that. And they're already high income earners and now they're being taxed on their portfolios even more. What's that story, Dad, that you talked about with, um, I can't recall if we've we've talked about this. The the uh, the bonding company or the contractor that you yeah worked the contractor with, that, that's a, yeah. a a prime example of what we're I think talking about here. Yeah, I think we mentioned this in an earlier podcast, but to to folks who didn't hear that podcast, I had a, I had a contractor out in Hershey, Pennsylvania, a few years back, who I was on one of his committees to evaluate his qualified plans, and uh, he liked some of the things I, were, I was bringing up on the committee meeting, and he asked me if that's all I did was just qualified plans. I said, no, I'm, I'm a family office and financial planner at a, at a sophisticated level. And he said, you know, I'd be interested in, in talking to you. So I said, sure. So he said, what what data would you want me 
give you to look at so you could evaluate where you can help me. I, and I typically say I need tax returns, financial statements, any assets that have value like, like they can look at. And he went to his office and gave me his tax return on, I can't remember what line it was, the top like line 14 or 15 on the first page of the tax return. It's where your dividends and interest show up. And he had like $682,000 worth of interest income and dividend income. Hmm. And I looked at his adjusted gross income, which was over a million dollars. So he had he was in a fifty percent tax bracket. If you look at in that time frame, it was a fifty percent tax bracket, state and Fed, that he was paying on all earnings hmm. in that particular portfolio. So I said to him, I said, well, "Why you need this income? You're making so much money." He said, "Well, that's my bonding company requires me to put money aside in an account that's liquid just in case I have a, an issue with one of my projects." Uh, I said, well, are you familiar with a, a ladder municipal bond portfolio? Because that's considered liquid within two days, and it's all tax-free income. And he looked at me kind of confused. He said, well, I'm not sure if I understand that. I said, well, I could convert this particular cash account into a short-term municipal bond strategy, produce your tax-free income so you don't pay any tax at all. And when I did my analysis, it raised his income up to like 800000 tax-free because at that time the yields on some of the municipalities – uh, bonds were very high, and he said, "So I can get eight hundred thousand dollars worth of excuse me eight hundred dollars eight hundred dollars worth of income, and not pay tax on it." I said, "Yeah, you could you could do that." So he he said, "Well, I, why would I not want to do that?" So he said, well, he said, "I don't understand why I didn't get that recommendation to me in the beginning." I said, "Well, sometimes when when people invest your money or banks look at you, they don't look at taxes." So that was mm-hmm. one of the things we talked about. So I saved them a substantial amount of money on taxes on that particular level of income he was earning on his tax return. I know that might be a little confusing, but it gets real surprising for people when they look at how easy it is to convert taxable income to tax-free income and not send money to the government or well, to the state. Well, what you're describing to me, I mean, as I'm, as I'm sitting here listening, Michael, as, as you're saying about all the fees, and then you're talking about all the different ways that, that income is taxed or, or these different accounts are, are taxed. And then, you know, John, your story about this gentleman specifically, you're describing a minefield, Right. I mean, that's that's the problem that I think most people face is that this is a minefield for us unless we have someone that's going to guide us through there. And, you know, not to sound cheesy, but that's you guys. I mean, that's that's the reason this podcast exists is because you want to reach families that are in situations like this so they don't have to go through this alone. And that just boggles my mind. It doesn't boggle my mind. The government does all sorts of things that drive me crazy. But taxes specifically, it it is a minefield. And and so I think having that guide, having that voice of reason to say, hey, let's let's turn left here. Let's turn right here. Watch out for this, you know, pitfall and that pitfall. Um, Here's what, you know, the positives are. Here's what the negatives are. That's vitally important. Um, you know, so beyond, beyond taxes and fees, what, what else is there in this, uh, that we have to be aware of? Well, I'm, I'm going to back up a little bit because I want to, I want to educate you a little bit on, on how we look at the world of investments as, as strategic advisors yeah. is that I look at it. I call it the seven discoveries of investing. It's kind of my own term. I created what that might while, be a future podcast. Yeah, I like maybe. that. We've already <laughs> talked about that. So. But basically how I look at how I teach people how to invest, each decision you make as an investor uh, has impact, whether it's a tax impact, a growth impact, or I refer to as a dominant benefit. So if you look at how stocks play out, the dominant benefit of a stock, it grows. 
So when you look at buying a stock, you look at growing that asset and you hopefully grow it at a level where you put a lot more net in your pocket than you do with a bond portfolio, which produces just income. Mm -hmm. So the dominant benefit of a bond, it produces income. Bonds typically don't grow. And the, and the conversation I have is um, when you, if you want to create wealth, you don't lend your money out like you do in a bond structure. You want to own assets. And there's three ways you create wealth in the United States today. You own stocks in a company or you own real estate or you own your own business. There's no other way you create wealth in the United States today. So that's that's the focus of, of our discussion. So when you look at dominant benefit of assets, you gotta be real careful on where you put your dollars. For an example, most people are very comfortable with CDs. And if, if you look at the rate of return on CDs over the course of the last 30 years, what would your best guess be on a net basis what you earned on that CD, which is a treasury? Uh, it's eight, it's minus 87 basis points. So CDs don't grow. Mm -hmm. There are treasuries. They beat, they kind of hedge inflation a little bit from a standpoint of you, you make a little bit, but inflation is going to be a little higher, but it's a safety net. So the dominant benefit of a CD is safety. Mm -hmm. So if you want to be safe with your assets, you put it in a CD, but safe from what? You're going to lose money on that asset based on inflation and if you throw tax on the, on the top of it it's even if it's even less well you just added the, the, the inflation being the last yeah. key component of of what comprises net composite rate of return and that's inflation so that that's a great point i mean if you terms about see being safe from what sometimes families are going backwards in that in yeah. that uh in, in, with that type of decision yeah so if you go to seven discoveries investments we typically look at the first step is you can look at mutual fund structures so we educate people on how mutual funds work. There's all different classes of mutual funds. And if you want to do your homework, you could discover those classes by yourself, but there's three basic classes. But there's more when you look at the institutional side. But to keep it simple, most investors look at maybe three or four asset classes in, in mutual funds or strategies. The second is separate accounts where you buy stock portfolios and bond portfolios through a broker. And it's not a mutual fund. You buy individual stocks. And that's another way you, could, you can invest. The other way you can invest in is something called alternatives. These are things like real estate, things like oil and gas, things that you typically can't buy over the counter. You, they're, they're, you have to buy them in a special uh, structure. Uh, but there are investment options you have as an investor. And then you have things that are more tax efficient, like annuity structures. How annuities work, they grow your assets tax-free or sheltered from taxes. And when you take it out, you pay tax on your income. Uh, and there's things like life insurance, which is a tax-free structure all by itself because of the way you can invest into it, like in an index inside a life insurance contract. So all these different options families have, you have to discover which one fits your objectives, but which one gives you the highest net composite rate of return, again, as I said earlier, minus fees, taxes, and inflation, what's going to give you the more to my bottom line? And I'll do some quick math for you. Eric, if I said to you, we just earned 10% of your portfolio, you're going to say, great job, John. Mm -hmm. But what was your net result of that? Well, if you're paying a fee for that to be managed, let's say it's a point, as an example, that's about average. You really made nine. Mm -hmm. Would you agree? Correct. Yep. Then you have to add the tax piece to it if it's a non-IRA type of structure. And let's assume the average investor is probably in a, if you look at Fed and state, 35% tax bracket. So what's 35% off of the nine? So you're closer to six, six mm -hmm. and a quarter. That's what you really made in that account. Now, if you had inflation to that, and the average inflation rate over the last 60, 70 years has been about 3.1% minus inflation from that. Now you're down to three. 
How'd you do? Yeah, I'm not liking the direction this is going, John. Exactly. <laughs> and most people get surprised. But here's the, here's the downside of uh, that, that strategy long term. If you're going to really net three because of all those issues we just talked about, when you retire at age 65 and you have a nest egg and you're looking to say, I don't have enough, it's too late. Yeah, you, you don't have time on your side now to recover from not understanding that equation. So investors have to be very, very careful when they look at how they invest their portfolios. They have to be careful on their fee structures, their tax exposure and inflation. We can't do anything about everything gets an inflation adjusted hit. But that's part of the equation you have to be careful. with. Yeah. And I think just to, to add to that, especially when it comes to inflation, as you said, which is a great point, you really can't control that. There's only so much you could really do because it does affect everything, everything equally. But especially when you're thinking generationally with and the families that we work with, that's the mindset that they have. So you start talking about let's say a dynasty trust that a family is putting in place and we can do a lot of projections to sort of determine as of today okay if we assume a certain rate of return on this investment here's what it maybe will look like 30 40 years from now for your grandkids as an example mm-hmm. but we have to add inflation to that number too right because a dollar today is not the same as a dollar uh, you know 30 40 years from now at yep. least based on historical inflation rates so there's all these different things that 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 families have to be aware of when they're going through that discovery process to be able to really get to the number and the goals that they want to achieve mm-hmm. like for example look at a chart right now if you look at the rate of return on asset classes and i'll walk them through very quickly u.s large company stocks those are your ibms your apples those type of stocks if you look at their historical rate of return over the last 30 years, you've earned about 11.9% or 11.09% as a total return on that asset class. No, that's a, I think that's average. Is that an average annual? I think that's average annual. Aver- is that average rate, annual? 30-year average annual. Yeah, yes. average annual. I'm sorry. That, 11%. Fine print. We have to. Mm, yeah. <laughs> the net of that was 597 So th- those are the factors that you have to look at it. So that – so look how much you lost just on those net composite rate of return calculations. Got it. So if you look at international stocks, the average over that 30 years was 9.84, and the net on that was 4.97. And if you look at small company stocks, it's 9.81, it's down to 5 on your net return on that. If you look at your municipal bonds, it was 7.12, down to 3.63. Long-term government bonds, 9.44, down to 3.08. Corporate bonds, which are got bonds issued by corporations, the return was 8.46. The net was 1.95. Ouch. If you look at intermediate government bonds, it was 7.37. It was only netted 1.59. Mm. Now, here's where it really gets interesting. It's real estate, single-family housing, the average return over that third year was 4.38. On a net basis, it was just under a point, 80 basis points. Mm. If you look at that T-bill we talked about earlier, that CD, 4.1 was the rate of return on average over that 30 years, but the net was minus 887 basis points. So you see, as you go down this track of asset classes, if you look at asset allocation as a strategy, which means you take a, chip, a pick of each one of these asset classes and kind of blend the portfolio, and you get an average rate of return. But if you look at these singularly, that's, that's what you have to understand the net result of taxes and expenses and inflation on these assets. So that's that's scary when you look at putting your money in treasuries or bonds. You're not growing them, and you're going to end up somewhere down the road saying, I should have done something different, and it's probably too late. And by the way, if you're interested, if anyone's listening is interested in, in getting more data on, on those numbers that we just – or my dad just mentioned, this is from the Thornburg 
it's a study they did. It's called the Real Real Return. Hmm. If anybody's interested, it's it's available on the internet. They're an investment management firm, but it's a, a similar mindset when we talk about net composite rate of return. It's a, a, a really interesting read to to really dig into this a little more if you're interested. Once your families see this and, and hear this example, kind of what's their reaction to this? I mean, the verbiage alone, you know, we've talked about it's kind of a blank stare. But now that you've explained it, what's their reaction to it? They're shocked. They, they No one really ever, ever explained it to them at the level that we went over in that brief conversation. It's really a wealth creation or depletion kind of a conversation. Mm-hmm. What are you trying to do with your wealth? It's just, it's all, it's all your assets, whether it's real estate or stocks and bonds, you got to be careful how you look at calculating the growth of those asset classes as time goes on. Yeah. And just as a, as another example, Eric, then this is specific to taxes, but there's a manager, money management group that we, that we utilize called parametric. And they did a study that uh, from 1979 to probably around the end of 2017, if they invested a hundred thousand dollars in 1979, the before-tax portfolio, so before taxes were assessed, was $4.9 million over that. Now, that's basically a 60-40 stocks-to-bonds type of portfolio. So, a very you know, conservative, mm-hmm. re- relatively conservative, balanced growth position. If you added tax to that, it's almost 61% was lost to taxes. It's $1.9 million versus wow. 4.9. So, again, that's really where, over long periods of time, generationally, just taxes alone can really have a, a, a humongous impact on what the net number is for a family long term. Yeah, so we deal with our families get to, you know, to get more focused on your question. When we ultimately educate a family on these issues about tax being something they got to be very careful with, we look at tax managing portfolios as a strategy, as part of that reducing of, of a cost of managing a portfolio. Because we think a, a tax cost is the same as a fee that someone would charge you to manage your portfolio, but a lot higher. So if we can save that tax piece as you accumulate your wealth, that's huge over long periods of time. And to Michael's point, 61% savings you can accumulate in your portfolios if you tax manage it in a very efficient way. So we spend a lot of time with our families talking about how we do that with their portfolios. Now, at Copper Beach, we don't manage portfolios. We outsource everything here. So we would handpick the managers to be that tax managed structure mm-hmm. in their portfolio design and we manage the managers. So it's really a understanding the impact that it has, getting our clients to understand how negative it affects their growth strategies. And then we put at managers in place to get help you know, mitigate that tax problem. Yeah, Michael, to your point about managing this for the generations, I know that you're not at the stage that uh, John and I are at this point. We have grandkids and, and of course, Every parent loves their kids. However, <laughs> there's something to be said about grandchildren, right? I mean, we've talked about that a little bit before. I think so. Yeah. I, I can imagine that this is pretty eye-opening for your clients and also uh, they kind of breathe a sigh of relief knowing, okay, this is now that this is on the table, I know that there are solutions out there. I know that John and Michael are going to be able to help provide those solutions because I do want to leave the best I possibly can for my my grandchildren, right? I, I want my, the best for my kids too. However, I really want to make it multiple generations down the line. I want to set this up. I've worked really hard over these years, built this business, built these companies, invest in this real estate, whatever it is. But to be able to, to kind of see that there is some hope out there because a lot of this is gloom and doom with those numbers just falling like a cliff. Um, it, it's not good news, but it sounds like there's a lot of strategies that you guys can put in place and that the team that you've built puts these things in place 
pretty much on a daily basis for your families. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's and it's a, a team effort with with the family's other advisors as well. So actually, I think the next podcast we're going to do is is going to be a little bit more detail on building a good advisory team around a family oh, yeah. because we also see pretty frequently if that that and I think we've mentioned this on quite a few occasions where the say the the tax team as an example is not aware of how the investment team is is investing the assets and vice versa where the investment team is maybe not aware of what the family's overall tax burden is mm-hmm. and so really having that that team oriented approach to sort of bring everybody together uh, for, for for the family's benefit is really important that's what we help just try to bring um, uh, to, to to bear so that's that, that that's a key part of it as well yeah that'll be a great podcast i'm looking forward to it any closing thoughts for today Oh, gee. Well, I, I just, just pay attention to, to uh, you know, this net composite rate of return. It's really, really, really important. If, uh, you know, if, you ha- if you're working with a, an investment advisor, ask them about this, you know, because it really does have a huge impact long term and, and generationally for a family. Yeah, I would just add, add two pieces. One, the younger you are, the better it is to start compounding this net worth. That's a great point. Yeah. In a tax efficient basis. Mm-hmm. But most certainly also meet with your advisor at least quarterly. And I mean that seriously. Some people don't meet with their advisors, but annually. I would meet them quarterly just to stay on top of the markets and what's going on. Not that you can change the markets. You can't. But mostly you can change how you get into the markets when you talk about tax efficiencies or not. So I would meet with them quarterly so you get a clear understanding of what's going on with the portfolios. Because if you don't watch over it or you have someone watch over it for you, you're going to be that 65-year-old retiree saying, I don't have enough. Because the mm-hmm. biggest fear that I see in the world around us today is people are living longer than they think. And when you retire at 65 and you have a longevity to 90, you better have a lot of money squirreled away or you're going to run into a very difficult time in your later years. So the more you can accumulate younger on a tax-efficient basis, the better it's going to be. Absolutely. That's great advice. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Eric. Thanks, Eric. All right. And thank you all for listening to the Truth About Wealth podcast with John and Michael Paris. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when John and Michael come out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. This makes it much easier to share these podcasts with your friends and family. Thank you again for listening today. For everyone at Copper Beach Financial Group, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Truth About Wealth podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Copper Beach Financial Group. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. This material is for informational purposes only. Neither APFS nor its representatives provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. Please consult your own tax, legal, or accounting professional before making any decisions. Securities offered through American Portfolio Financial Services, Incorporated, a member of FINRA SIPC Investment Advisory and Financial Planning Services offered through American Portfolio Advisors, Incorporated, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Copper Beach is an unaffiliated entity of APFS and 
APA. Any opinions expressed in this forum are not the opinion or view of American Portfolios Financial Services Incorporated APFS or American Portfolios Advisors Incorporated APA and have not been reviewed by the firm for completeness or accuracy. These opinions are subject to change at any time without notice. Any comments or postings are provided for informational purposes only and do not constitute an offer or a recommendation to buy or sell securities or other financial instruments. Readers should conduct their own review and exercise judgment prior to investing. Investments are not guaranteed, involve risk, and may result in a loss of principal. Past performance does not guarantee future results. Investments are not suitable for all types of investors.